The views, opinions, and content of the show hosts and their guests appearing on America's Web Radio are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the station. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Good morning and or afternoon as the case might be. You're listening to America's Web Radio and we're certainly glad to have you listening in today. And it's time now for Remembering Desert Shield and Desert Storm. And we have our host on the line, Lieutenant Colonel Retired Philip Forsberg. And uh, as we always remind you, get a pen and paper ready because Phil always has something to say that I bet you didn't know about. And you'll want to write down so you can remember it for the next trivia game. Or, just to ask someone you love, did you know? And show them how smart you are. With that being said, we always start all of our shows off that are dedicated to veterans and our first responders are those that are on active duty. And we start out by doing... A moment of silence and a silent prayer for those that have saved our country and have fought for our country and those that love our country and those that are on active duty and, of course, our first responders. Where would we be without our first responders? Every time I hear a siren go by, I think about our first responders and where they're going and what they're doing. And this brings up something that you need to listen to a show that we do called A Place for Veterans. And um, it goes in detail about what veterans have gone through, what first responders go through, and I think you'll find it quite interesting. So let's take a moment and have a moment of silence, and we'll be back right after this. also do one other thing that uh, we want to make sure everybody's up and going and their hearts are beating well and we know how to get there. We've all been there that have gone through basic and AIT or just in a company situation. You know about these and I don't know about you but I love them. Can do it. You can do it. Yeah, yeah. Hey, yeah. 
can hang. Young man. I must admit, when uh, that Jody's playing and they play the old man, you can do it. Well, I fit that bill now. So, with that being said, Phil, welcome to America's Web Radio again. And we look forward to a great show talking about remembering Desert Shield and Desert Storm. And... uh, Look forward, as we always do, every Monday to talking to you. And I hope you've had a good weekend and you're having the start of a good week. Good afternoon, sir. Well, thank you, David. I appreciate the welcome. And I'll tell you that um, I I am having a good day. And uh, you know, every day I get to be home is a, is a especially good day. And I'm home today enjoying my family and uh so that's uh that's good and you know and we need to remember that those folks who are deployed are are not with their family and uh we got the holiday season coming up right now and so uh we, we do need to remember them you know i i think i asked last year i'm not sure but uh i'll ask again this year do you think, you know, the holiday season back 15, 20 years ago or even more was a tough time and you depended on the postal system for your cheer. Uh, that's excluding the drink and so forth. But as far as hearing from home and, and being cheered up by hearing, you know, you get your your goodie box, and uh, then you get pictures and letters and uh, the three-year-old drawings and the four-year-old drawings, and that was about it. What, in your opinion, and, and you were right at sort of the the end of that and the startup of what modern technology can do, what effect do you think that's had on the people that are deployed and can sneak away for a moment and call and talk and see their family during a a holiday season? Well, if uh, it's always great to have a connection with home uh, and if you know of a deployed uh, soldier or sailor uh, Marine, Airman, that, uh, you know, they, uh, they would really appreciate, uh, you reaching out to them and, and, uh, just making the effort to, uh, tell them you're thinking about them. And, uh, it, you know, it's just a, uh, <clears throat> it's a time when you're surrounded by nothing but mission. And, uh, you know, it's it's so refreshing every once in a while to just uh, get a note from someone who is not in the mission, uh, who just wants to say hello, thinking about you, hope you're doing well. Um, maybe a little news from home. Uh, you know, the, these things are so they were so meaningful. You know, they take they they take the troop, they transport the troop. You know, 
home for just a little bit, and uh, it's it's really quite wonderful. Uh, as far as technology is concerned, you know, it's been a long time since I was deployed, so. Uh, but I can tell you, in my time uh, after uh, Desert Storm and after the Army, I uh, I spent a lot of time flying cargo around the world, and I just got so amazed by uh, you could have a, a you know a phone in your pocket, and if the hotel you're staying at has a uh, an internet uh, connection. You can use that voice over internet protocol and talk, or you can FaceTime and see what's going on other side of the world in real time. It's really it's mind-boggling compared to what we had in, in Desert Storm, and you know that was only a little over 30 years ago uh, when I was when I was in Desert Storm. I I had just turned uh, 31 years 31 years old. Uh, well, I actually turned 31 in Saudi Arabia. And, um, you know, for me to think back uh, 30 years to when I was born, you know, what the technology was then to the, to the technology we were using, uh, it was, a, you know, a huge quantum leap, but it's accelerated in the past 30 years a great deal more than that. I will say, however, that... Uh, uh, my birthday is maybe a week or two after the uh, the army took uh, U.S. Army took uh, possession of their first OB-1 Mohawk. So I was flying a 31-year-old airplane uh, in Desert Storm. You know, I, I guess the one thing that obviously never changes is the holiday season. No matter which holiday it is, from the 4th of July to Christmas Day to New Year's Eve, New Year's Day. And that, I guess, well, I say I guess, I know, has been true from the Revolutionary War to the Civil War to any war that we've ever been in as a country. Um, Those holidays and those days and that... Everybody suffers the same feeling in their stomach about about the desire to be home, see their family, see their Christmas tree, and those memories just keep popping up the whole time. And it's good that you have the support of the men around you, men and women around you. And uh, I guess that's basically the only way we make it through and get through the holidays uh, because it's a tough time. And uh, as we mentioned last year, and I remember this distinctly, you know, and I can only address the Army. I can't address the other branches of the service. But, uh, you know, the... KP, the cooks, they they do a fantastic job of bringing a little taste, and that's an important thing, an important word, taste of home to the troops 
that are deployed. And they're deployed too. The KPs are deployed just like everybody else. But they do a fantastic job of cooking that roast or that turkey or whatever that might be. So you'll have a taste of home. And uh, it's always a very special chow time when it's a holiday. And um, I think you would agree with that. Well, I, I do agree with that, David. And, you know, uh, in defense of our cooks, the ones we had at Desert Storm were, were quite fantastic. But uh, the only reason they didn't give us a feast every day was because we didn't resource them for that. <laughs> uh, but uh, they, they could do wonderful things um, with... Uh, with what we were giving them, and uh, so they were so much appreciated, and they're they're really good folks. And you know, as I remember, as that PFC or, or maybe specialist was putting that big spoon in that big pot of mashed potatoes, they were part of the cheer too. They always seem to have a smile on their face. And how are you today, sir? How are you? How are you? You know, uh, is there anything I can get for you? They were the, always there. They were such an important part of the military. And I don't know if they get the recognition that they should. But, uh, you know, the we owe a lot of thanks to those that served in the kitchen. Kitchen police. And the chefs, the cooks, and uh, many of them, I found, could turn some of the poorest quality into some of the best tasting chow one had ever eaten. And they did a fantastic job. And my hat, maybe we'll just dedicate today's show to anybody that served on K, uh, not just KP, but anyone that served in the military kitchen, whether in a company or whatever kind of unit it was. And what they could do coming out to the field, I always thought was just, boy, when you saw that truck drive up, with a hot meal I don't know about anybody else but I had my own little personal celebration and it made yeah, all the difference you know, in the world you know David uh, some of the best meals I've ever eaten I've eaten out of a, what we call a mermite can the uh, those insulated cans that they uh, had done like an inner sleeve and they they Put around the uh, the can uh, w- would be hot water to keep the, the food hot, and then the whole thing uh, would go into this OD metal can around it. You remember that? Like tall, cylindrical. Uh, well, not. I mean, they they were like square cylinders. Yeah, uh, as a matter of fact, we I didn't have them. No. Oh. Uh, yeah, mermite cans. 
that's how they brought, you know, they, they cooked the chow hunt, they oh, put it into these, big, big these cans. cans. Yeah, do you yeah. remember? Yeah. I do so remember kind of a big OD uh, metal case around it. Mm-hmm. It's all top off, and there'd be three uh, sleeves of uh, whatever, you know, meat and vegetables and starch. And you have a big spoon, and you take your little divided plate, slop it on there, and then go eat it off the fender of a deuce and a half. And, and you know, between you and me, sir, I don't think I could have made it in the kitchen. I have to have more sleep than that. And in, even in the infantry, you get more sleep than the cooks do. Yeah, those, they, they did get, a great job, though. My only kitchen service uh, was when I, and, and I'll show you the, the military culture, when I had, had uh, staff duty, they would, uh, one of our duties was to go and eat in the mess hall and, you know, report back on any anything that might have been wrong with the meal, um, just to make sure the command could know that the troops were being fed well. And, uh, you know, I thought that was a, a real good way to show concern for the troops to make the leadership go out and eat there, you know, eat with them. And, uh, you know, we, we really did enjoy it uh, because, it, you know, it wasn't, to me, that, that wasn't onerous. And I rarely had to, uh, any comment on the meal other than compliments. Those guys were up all the time, and they would barely get their spoons clean and be ready to go again. So hats off to anybody. And I I would assume, and maybe you can answer this because I never had the experience, but I assume the Navy and Marines and Air Force are all the same, that we still march on our stomachs and uh, that, you know, every branch looks forward to chow time. I don't know. I'm, I'm told uh, I'm told by my Navy buddies that uh, the, the submarine force uh, really eats very, very well. Uh, and that's, that's a perk that the Navy tries to afford them um, because it's uh, well you know uh, you know it's difficult duty being underwater all the time you know kind of encased in that uh, in that metal tube under the water and uh, but I am also told that yes it's true the guys would tell me we did eat very well uh, but they said that the longer they were at sea, the further they were from provisioning, uh, the more, um, uh, the, the lower the quality of the meal. They, they, but when they, when they left port, they had a really, really good, uh, set of meals and then they, it would dwindle, uh, during their time, uh, out at sea. Well, what's the old saying? All good things must end. <laughs> yeah. 
And I, yeah, I well, I, I guess, theirs. you know, we don't need them to be too chubby. No. Uh, they got to fit in those separate. They, uh, and they still have to pass that PT test. <laughs> Somewhere the other. Yeah. I don't know how much running there is, you know, in the, in the combat operations of a, of a submariner, but, uh, Oh well, you know it's it's good to have a fit force. Absolutely, and uh, like I say, we will dedicate this show to anybody that served in the kitchen, no matter what branch it was or is. And uh, like I said, I quite frankly, I was always amazed when I went to the mess hall and. You know, be at breakfast, you know, do you want toast, pancakes, this, that, waffles, whatever. And uh, what kind of eggs would you like, sir? And, uh, you know, they'd ask uh, whether you wanted fried eggs, scrambled eggs, you know, and then you had your choice of meats. And you basically had the same situation going back through it at lunch and certainly at dinner. And... uh you know, you always, the kitchen, the mess hall always gave you something to look forward to. And uh, right now, as we're entering the Christmas season and we're only a week away, I can guarantee you the person in charge of Every mess hall across the country is working on something special. And, you know, it's like the mess halls adopted the soldiers. I'm going to do something special for my men. And you'd have thought that they were the uh, company commanders, but it was always something special for my troops. And I assume it's still that way. Yeah. You know, uh, David, there may be some uh, some troops who uh, are far from home at this time. Maybe they're stateside, but, you know, they live in uh, their hometowns in California, and they're somewhere in Maine or Georgia, somewhere that seems like a million miles away. And some of these guys are young. Some of them are 18, 19 years old. And, uh, you know, this time of year, uh, to be away, uh, you know, it's just, uh, well, it's, it just, uh, could be a little bit, uh, depressing. And, uh, if, if there's any of your listeners, uh, who would like to, uh, cheer up or, or entertain a uh, a soldier in their home, or a sailor, or whomever. You know, if you're near a military installation, uh, you should call the chaplain's office over there and find out. Does he know of any any troops that are you know lonely and away from home, and, uh, and maybe you know you could invite invite them into your home for uh, for Christmas. It's uh, you know, it makes your Christmas better just to know that you're you're doing something, sharing something uh, with the 
with one of our troops and uh you know i mean if that were my son or daughter i would really uh be very appreciative of anybody would would show that sort of kindness to them um the uh you know, and, and maybe there's no need in your area, but the chaplain would know. The chaplain would be the place. And I know, David, that you're you're a big fan of chapel. Absolutely. And they, uh, hey. you know, the, it. The, this is what. And again, I, and I've said this a million times at this point. I don't. <laughs> I've never served in the Russian army, and I've never served in the Chinese army, so I can't address what they do, but this is where I applaud our military from from the get-go. They, I'm not saying they're perfect, and I don't know any organization that is, but they have filled the needs of most situations by having like the chaplains, the service that the chaplains perform, the service that um, so many different areas perform within the military itself. And I just, it's the greatest organization going. And that's true with any of the branches. And if you're considering, (coughs) excuse me, if you're graduating and haven't decided what you want to do, Look at the military. They have something for you. And the cough criminals got me. Well, David, uh, I had the opportunity to spend some time with soldiers uh, in the last week. And uh, soldiers and their families. And, uh, and I also got together with a good friend of mine who's a, uh, a Desert Storm veteran. Uh, and, uh, you may know him. Uh, his name is, uh, Don Moeller. And, uh, we got together last week and we went over. There was a, a unit function where, uh, troops were getting together and, uh, <clears throat> And Doc Bowler and I uh, presented a briefing for these folks uh, to uh, <clears throat> to help them uh, understand what uh, what uh, PTSD is all about and what benefits the VA can provide for them. And uh, it was really uh, it was a great time. I love being with soldiers and. Uh, and these were some fine folks. I got a uh, very good report from Dr. Mulder on what you had done and what you had set up for him and uh, the group that was there. And uh, I was fascinated. Uh, as, as he was talking about it, I said, why do I feel like Forsberg had something to do with this? Well, he's the one that arranged it. <laughs> So, yeah, what, I did. What I can, all I can say from America's Web Radio is thank you. 
And uh, we both know that Don Moeller is working his ever-loving tail-off for the veteran. And the show that he does, A Veteran's Place, has, is a great show, and it's getting greater by the week. And somehow or the other, sir, you're right in the middle of it. And uh, I know how much he appreciates it and how much I appreciate the opportunity that I had of telling you about Don. And, uh, you know, this is veterans working together with veterans for the benefit of veterans. Well, yeah. And, and you know, that's where my, my passion lies, I guess. You know, to know uh, that I'm helping veterans. And, uh, you know, I wondered what I would do in uh, retirement. I'm not completely retired now, but, uh, and I found my fulfillment in, in uh, helping veterans. And it's truly a wonderful thing. You know, I don't know of many veterans that go around with their hands out. Uh, they and they expect nothing even though you thank them for their service you love them for their service and they accept what you will do and what you give to them but you know they're a pretty independent group and uh, a lot of them well you take care of my buddy over there and then we'll worry about me later and veterans are, they never stop being soldiers. They never stop taking care of their buddies. And I think. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, everybody wants to, uh, divide America up into communities, you know, the black community, the white community, the Hispanic community. Whatever, and I just tell people my community is veterans, and uh, and it's not that I uh, withdraw from people who are not veterans, but if I have to identify with somebody, it's more than likely going to be someone who served. Yes, sir. And uh, want to remind all the veterans that are listening, and are their family, and our friends of veterans. Tell your veteran buddy to go to our homepage, and very shortly they'll be able to, the veteran will be able to register for and be in a situation to receive an AA-15. It's an AR-15 style weapon that we're giving away to a veteran. And only veterans can enter, and uh, we have to have proof of their service. And that means a DD-214 or a VA card or a current or past military ID, copy of a military ID. But we wanted to do something for veterans, and uh, I don't know of many people that have served that don't like weapons. And so we decided to... Uh, give a 
AR-15 style weapon away and uh, takes filling out a form and getting it back to us and we're setting some deadlines and all that information will be posted very shortly within the next few days in fact so with that being said let's get back to remembering desert storm and desert shield and uh, we've talked about the importance of what was put in your belly and uh, I remember you and I talked about and you talked about the uh, when you'd get a care package from home and there was a lot of uh, fudge or a lot of brownies or chocolate chip cookies or whatever it was or whatever it might be that you would lay it out on a big table and people could come by all during the day and pick up and have whatever they wanted. And that's the way the military is. Uh, That is true, David. You know, uh, they made sure we could eat three meals a day uh, over there. Although typically our breakfast was served up in a mess tent by our cooks. Uh, The... uh, the lunch meal was typically uh, an MRE, you know, that brown plastic envelope you get with <laughs> all the various pieces, parts of your meal in there, some assembly required. <laughs> and then uh, <clears throat> and then there was the uh, the evening meal. We typically went over to the, uh, to the, con- uh, the mess hall that the king had put up for his uh, workers that were building the airport there. He just said, you go eat, eat with my, uh, in my mess hall, which was very nice. He also provided us all our tents, and he also provided us all of our fuel, uh, not only for our airplanes, but for our trucks, tanks, and everything we had there. He, he uh, opened the tap. I don't know where he got all this fuel. Maybe he pumped it out of the ground or something. But, um, <laughs> yeah, we... Uh, uh, but still, we had um, we, we had this concrete shell of a building, no windows or doors, though, uh, that we used for our operations. And uh, we had an orderly room in there with a little field table, and uh, it just had this uh, sharing table that, uh, you know, when you got these care packages, you know, if you get a whole big, uh, you know, box of brownies or something, you're going to sit down and, you know, eat the whole box of brownies, uh, you know, at your bunk or, or keep it in your stuff. So, uh, you know, people would, you know, take one or two brownies or cookies or handful of uh, nuts or uh, dried fruit or whatever. And then, and then they just put the rest out on this sharing table. And, uh, you know... It's not like people would go there specifically to get it, but when you were walking through the orderly room, you'd see something that was nice, just grab it, and, you know, have a snack right there. And I'll tell you, uh, <laughs> they, they uh, we were there six months, and uh, I don't remember missing a meal, and I ate all the goodies and snacks I could handle, <laughs> and I still lost 20 pounds over there. Uh, Phil, let me ask you something. As 
an officer in charge of many things, but I, I doubt that our bottoms are too much different. But evening mess, when my butt hit that chair, day was done. Did you feel the same way? <laughs> well, no, and here's why. Uh, most of the missions I flew were flown at night. So, uh, so you, you, know, we had to you said day was coverage. just starting, huh? What's that? So you said day is just starting when you hit the chair. Yeah, that could be really like my breakfast or something. Uh, you know, because I might have been sleeping through the day. Uh, I was like, uh, when I would go out on a night mission, they come back and they would, you know, they would tell me how many scud alerts they had, uh, experienced through the night. And, uh, I was always glad the higher the number, the better for me, be- simply because that was, uh, you know, one or two or maybe even three scud alerts that I had missed being out on a mission. But not that I was too frightened of the scuds. Uh, they were horribly inaccurate. But, you know, they launched them in our general direction. Uh, I was really uh, thankful I wasn't there because uh, when we had scud alerts, a loud siren would go off and wake you up. And you have to interrupt your sleep and put on your protective mask and run to your bunker. And in my case, the, my assigned bunker was like a, a concrete storm drain pipe mm. uh, that they had uh, had with a manhole cover on top. And we had to stay there until we got the all clear. So it was nice to know you, you'd missed some scud alerts. And, uh, of course, it never happened during the day. They, they would <laughs> do the fire the scuds during the daytime. Um, I think maybe, you know, their intent was to disrupt our sleep. But, you know, the joke's on them because uh, I wasn't always sleeping during the day. A lot of times I was, I mean, sleeping at night, I was a lot of times sleeping during the day if I could. Let me Let me ask you how you feel about the reaction to the drones that have been flown against our warships and the retaliation that we've taken, which has virtually been nothing. I don't think previous administrations would sit there and say, we'll just keep shooting down your drones and hope nothing happens. Yeah, well, it's a tough one, you know, because the the drones that they're using... Uh, they're not just, they're not just firing them or using them against our military vessels. They're also using them against commercial shipping. And, you know, a great, a great reason for our Navy and, you know, what we, uh, how we resource our Navy is, uh, to, uh, uh, to, you know, facilitate commercial shipping and, you know, open, the open seas. Uh, for commerce, so um, so, and you know the Houthi rebels uh, are the ones who uh, Iran's proxies firing some of these things. That, 
be a it's a, de- a delicate situation because the Saudis uh, don't want a full blown war with Iran, so they're kind of trying to make their peace with a ceasefire with the Houthis. Uh, so the Saudis want us to, to throttle back. And, uh, I don't know. It's a it's a delicate uh, line that we have to walk. And then of course there's there's our folks in Syria and Iraq uh, that are being attacked by uh, Iranian forces or their proxies in uh, in the eastern part of Syria and Iraq and uh, so we uh, we really have to be you know I mean if we wanted to we could go into Iran you know and uh, and do a regime change Uh, but I don't think the American people have the stomach for that right now Uh, and the uh, you know if we were to send smart bombs into Tehran I have to understand that uh, there would there would be a lot of innocent uh, lives as uh, collateral damage. So it's all things you have to weigh. Um, and my experience with the people in Iran is that, uh, by and large, they do not support that government. But there's precious little they can do. So uh, I would love to see them rise up and. and do their own regime change, that would be wonderful for the world, but it would take a great deal of sacrifice on their part. On that note, we're going to take a break, and we'll be back with Lieutenant Colonel Retired Philip Forsberg and Remembering Desert Shield and Desert Storm right after a couple of words, and uh, we'll be right back. If you want the truth about politics, medicine, weapons, classic cars, and more, you'll want to tune in to America's Web Radio. You can listen to all of your favorite shows live at www.americaswebradio.com or on demand on iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. That's www.americaswebradio.com. Attention veterans with PTSD. If you can't sleep at night, listen to A Veteran's Place, hosted by Dr. Don Moeller, at 10 a.m., every Thursday, for your answer to sleeping, here on the Veteran Station, owned by a vet, with shows just for vets. AmericasWebRadio.com Are you a veteran of Desert Shield or Desert Storm? We do a show for you every Monday at 1 p.m., on Veteran-Owned, AmericasWebRadio.com. And that's the show that we're doing right now with our host, Philip Forsberg, that spent time in Desert Storm and Desert Shield and Desert Storm. And we're so fortunate to have Philip on America's Web Radio. And we appreciate every word he says and basically every thought that he has that... uh, we get out of him. He is an interesting man, and he's doing so much for veterans. And he is the epitome of a veteran helping a veteran. And uh, he goes in more directions than my GPS could follow. 
and we appreciate every moment that we're with Philip and uh, every story we hear about him they just get better and better and from all of us Phil thank you you're welcome David I uh, and I I do appreciate uh, well all the uh, flattery from you in addition uh, I appreciate the opportunity to uh, I'm just reading your script I'm just reading what you told me to, to say. <laughs> that, now that's not true David uh, uh, however uh, I have uh, just sent you an email today David to add some things to the uh, to our website for our uh, the show's page um uh, one of them is a uh, an article, professional article from uh, from an army publication that gives uh, day by day the events of Desert Storm. Um, so that's kind of a uh, if anybody is you know interested in in researching what Desert Storm was like or what it was about or how the events unfolded, uh, that's that's a good resource and. Uh, and then uh, another thing I sent you was a, a link to a YouTube uh, video about the use of desert, uh, use of Mohawks in Desert Storm. And, uh, well, I can honestly tell you there's a great deal of information that uh, needs to be corrected in, uh, in the text of, of what the, the gentleman says. Uh, about the Mohawk and, and Desert Storm. For instance, he says that most of the uh, battle damage assessments in uh, in Kuwait were produced by the Mohawk. I don't know if a single mission that we did that uh, involved battle damage assessment in Kuwait. Um, we did we did hand off many many targets. Um, to uh, the, the folks uh, who could do stuff about it um, in both the Kuwait and Iraq, uh, but we did not. Uh, we didn't do battle damage assessment. We had we had cameras on our aircraft, but we typically were not doing photo missions at all. There was one mission that uh, I almost volunteered for. Um, they were very, very concerned about whether or not this bridge had been destroyed and some cloud cover had come in and whatever satellites or whatever, uh, whatever aircraft they had maybe that were, uh, checking out the battle damage assessment couldn't, couldn't conclusively go there. And I was, I, I nearly volunteered to go do a photo mission of that bridge, but, you know, I'd be flying right over uh, Iraqi troops at pretty low level because I have to be under the clouds. Uh, and I probably had some a number of right seaters, uh, my enlisted uh, observers and equipment operators who would uh, who would have gone with me. But I said, well, if they want me to do it, they'll ask me to do it. So I didn't volunteer for it. And you know, as it turned out, 
we were moving so quick and so fast and so violently that uh, the, that information would have just been academic. As we, uh, you know, of a half a million troops that were deployed to that theater, we we lost less than 300 in in combat operations. So, um, I would say that was that's pretty. Um, pretty one-sided victory and I was all about one-sided victory as long as it was our side that's right (laughs) yeah there's an old saying about that when you go into battle uh, and I can't remember I know you'll pull it up and and, uh, what was it was it Sherman that said it uh Men are going to get killed just as long as they're the enemies. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I can't remember. I've been looking at some Sherman quotes lately. Um, you know, however much technology we add to our forces, um, there's still going to be danger, hardship, sacrifice. Uh, in any combat operation. And, uh, so, you know, don't think these guys that we have out in Iraq, the Horn of Africa, or, uh, Syria, or places that would curl your toes to find out we had troops, but we do. Um, you know, don't think that they have some sort of, uh, immunity. To uh, violent action because it's, it's not the case, uh, and we need them doing their jobs, and uh, and we should really be thankful for the sacrifices they're making. You know, I hate to end, and we're about to come to the end of the show. We still got seven minutes or so, but I hate to end on a sour note, but. I I sort of feel like it's my duty, particularly since I know that the most important people in the world, veterans, listen to this show, and we have people all over the world listening to the show. We have comments from Belfast, uh, Australia, you name it, and we've, we have listeners there. But on this hour note, I was talking to... A friend of mine last night that was a CIA agent. He was also in the Border Patrol. He was the last managing uh, director of the El Paso office. And uh, I asked him outright, you know, what kind of trouble are we in? And his answer was very fast and straightforward that we're in a lot of trouble and that, you know, it's the border situation is going to bite us and bite us hard like 9-11 and that we have let so many bad guys in that, you know, it just makes common sense to know that they're going to pull something and... 
You know, our note to everybody is please stay alert, do like the Army, and take care of the guy in front of you, the guy to your sides, and pray that the guy behind you is covering your six. That what he was saying last night was that we're going to need to help each other, and it's going to be it's going to be closer to home than 9/11. We had a distance between us and New York and 9/11, and but he feels like, excuse me, that uh, it's going to be very close to home whenever this all comes to pass. So just. Be aware of what's going on around you. I think that's one of the first things we learn in the military is be aware of your surroundings. And if you see something that you want to question, question it. Tell somebody. Call the police. Do whatever. But be aware of your surroundings and take care of your buddy. So, that being said... Well, you know, David, I'd like to echo a little something of that. Yes, sir. Um, You know, this doesn't go for your listeners in Australia or Belfast or any other place where the civil population's been disarmed. But uh, if you're an American and you have a right uh, in your state, in your jurisdiction where you are, uh, to carry a weapon... Uh, consider it a, um, a public service. If you, uh, you carry your weapon and are, uh, available to help, you know, when you're in a, when you're in a location that, uh, that is, uh, you know, crowded, uh, and it's easy target, uh, just think of, just be thinking about it, you know. Uh, years ago, I was one of the uh, one of those armed airline pilots, and in our training, they told us, you know, there's three kind of people in the world. Most people are sheep. Some people are wolves, and um, and unfortunately, uh, you know, the, the, there are wolves among us. But you know, some people are uh, sheepdogs, and they said we need you to be sheepdogs. At all times, you never uh, rest on your laurels. Yes, sir. You know, we're going to be facing some things that uh, we've never we've never faced before, and uh, a lot of people won't know how to react. So you're going to have to help them and teach them how to react. And that's where, you know, I think it's a sin that everybody doesn't have to serve in the military because the military does the best job in the world of training and getting a person's attention and giving them, giving he or she skills that they can use the rest of their life. But 
you know, just be aware of what's going on around you and pray for our country that we'll come back to one nation under God and that the group that's trying to take over will fail miserably and be made fun of and that we can have our country back like it was when Phil and I were kids. It was totally different. Or when I was a kid anyway, and Phil's so much younger than I am that uh, he may not remember some of the good days. But anyway... Phil, it's time to put the plug in the jug and get out of here. All right, David. It's been a pleasure. It's Merry a, Christmas and a Happy New Year to everybody. To everybody, all of our veterans and all of our active duty and our first responders. Remember those first responders. They're not going to take off Christmas. They're not going to take off New Year's Day. They're going to be in their offices waiting to be called to respond to your need for help. So keep them in mind and if you see any of them at an airport or wherever, buy them that cup of coffee or that meal and thank them profusely for the service that they perform day in and day out. With that being said, we're out of here. The views, opinions, and content of the show hosts and their guests appearing on America's Web Radio are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the station. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.